I find there's magic in hiking, something transformative in that time, beautifully reductive for me, almost purifying. You know, climbing a hillside, going up and down mountain trails, that breathlessness, the rhythm, one foot in front of the other, and it just strips away the worries of the world, and it brings into focus the present moment, our breath, our footsteps, the trail, maybe trees, vegetation, some critters, a view. Absorbing creation bigger than little me, bigger than little us. I remember once up north at Point Reyes, scrambling down one of their very steep mountainsides, one of those ones that plunges right into the ocean. We'd been hiking all morning and came to a little strip of beach and decided to have lunch. The strip of beach was so steep you couldn't sit on it, but there was a little flat part right where the vegetation met the sand. And this, veget you know, this beach was only about this high, boom, the water on the ground. And it was such a relief to sit down after a long hike, to look forward to lunch. But there was that deep sense of, ah, oh, muscles alive, my mind so clear and serene, and an ocean that was relatively quiet because there was no sand for the waves to roll into and crash on. And then suddenly, I see coming out of the water about where that front pew is, this giant whale. I see its eye looking at me, and it crests down. Taking this huge breath, I can't breathe out. I'm frozen. I can't speak. I can barely move my arm. I'm trying to say, look, to my friends, and it's moving by in all its grandeur. I was finally able to point right about when the tail came up, and they did catch the literal tail end of the whale. <laughs> but those moments between meeting the eye of this incredible creature and being able to point, my heart was pounding. I'm filled with awe astonished, stupefied, and even frightened. This ocean where you know, my wildest dreams having lunch were maybe I'd see an elephant seal or some little dolphins off there, or maybe way off the gray whales. Seeing this beautiful whale right there was a whole new dimension of awe, something I've never I had never, ever experienced and still haven't again. So when I hear about Jesus' inner circle of disciples, Peter and James and John, climbing up that mountain, I imagine them getting to that state of, ah, oh, that semi-exhaustion, yet clear-headed and open-hearted, and then, bam, like the eye of the whale, there is Jesus transformed dazzling clothes, whiter than the whitest white. 
way beyond, as someone in Bible said, that Tide commercial white. <laughs> and then right away there's Elijah and Moses, the two most prophetic figures from Scripture, right in front of them. And I'm amazed Peter could even speak because I would have been the mute one like James and John. This person, Jesus, who they've been following, they're drawn to his teaching, listening to his teaching, witnessing him working wonders. In their wildest dreams, hoping, maybe believing, he is a real prophet. Maybe he's even the Messiah, the king who would restore the promised land to the people. And Peter had indeed just declared that in the passage before what we read this morning. Peter declared his wildest dream when Jesus asked him, who do you think that I am? You are the Messiah. In all this earthly expectation of what a Messiah is, they suddenly witness something so much bigger and more breathtaking than they could have ever imagined. And Scripture says they're terrified. It's a fearsome awe. Wonder and terror packaged up in one, beyond words. And then, if that isn't enough, the cloud comes down. And God's voice coming out, yes, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Jesus, the Son, the Messiah, Jesus, God in all his glory revealed in this instant. This revelation cracked open their human realm and our human realm, revealing God in their midst, a revelation to us of God in our midst, this clear whale-like moment of the beyond comprehensiveness of the bigness of God, which we usually do not see. And it's in seven tiny little verses. In these seven little tiny verses, the disciples experience the simultaneous coming together of virtually every powerful image of God in Scripture. They're on the mountaintop, number one, a place where it was understood that the divine meets the human, where Moses went, a mountaintop, similar mountaintop, and encountered God, came down with the law and the Ten Commandments. Two, they encounter transformation through this dazzling white, this light, light like the beginning of creation, light that the darkness can never overcome, the light of Christ. Three, the image of the prophets, Elijah and Moses, hope, deliverance, divine promise fulfilled. Four, the cloud. The cloud at that time in a culture and a landscape like ours that was very parched was a sign of hope. Clouds mean rain. Clouds, a symbol of a divine presence. The cloud covered the tent when the people were in the wilderness, led the tent, led the, the ark as, as Moses led the people. And then five, the kicker, God's actual voice. The voice that spoke to Abraham and Moses. The voice that reaches out, calling them, calling us 
listen to him. What are we to listen to? Listening means absorbing. It means taking into ourselves what's being revealed. And it means responding. Listen to him. And what Jesus had just told the disciples in the scene before this one is something they completely do not want to hear. And it's something that Peter, after saying, you are the Messiah, outright rejects to the point that Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me. Right before God on the mountaintop says, listen to him, Jesus predicts his suffering, death, and resurrection. Suffering? What, the disciples must have been thinking, what does that have to do with being a Messiah? Religious authorities putting a Messiah to death? No. Resurrection? Huh. How confusing. This mind-blowing experience of God with a message that blows open their human conception of what salvation looks like. Suffering, death, resurrection, there's salvation in that, there's love in that. They just don't understand the bigger reality of Jesus. Those two concepts, the concept of suffering, death, resurrection, with the glory and the awesomeness, how does that fit? And the disciples continue through Mark's gospel not to get it. And how many of us are like the disciples? We work so hard at wrapping our heads around the reality of what we understand to be Jesus in our human terms, more accessible terms. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. Jesus, the ultimate healer. Jesus, a divinely perfected human being. And yeah, these are all vital elements of Jesus, vital elements of God, but they aren't the whole picture. Here on the mountaintop, God affirms Jesus as God herself. And as God and as the Messiah, Jesus is here to do more than we expect here to bring love in and through suffering, love in and through death, love, transformation in and through the resurrection. So even though the disciples didn't get it and couldn't get it, and they just couldn't absorb the news right in that moment, and we'll see them again and again as we hear a lot of Mark's gospel this year, we'll hear them not getting it, at this moment on the top of the mountain, the seed of getting it is being planted. This awesome moment, this awesome glimpse of God is so much bigger than we can understand, is a sacred seed. Jesus is God, and we are to listen to him. So today, here, we are at a tipping point in the church calendar. We're at the end of the season of Epiphany, 
which began with the first time in Mark's gospel, we hear God's voice coming from heaven when Jesus is baptized. You are my son. And in recent weeks, we've seen the promise of the light of Christ coming in the world. And now at the end of Epiphany, this is the second time we hear God's voice. We're on the brink of Lent. We're on the brink of a time when we are to look into our lives for where God isn't. Where is that suffering, that death that needs resurrection? Where are we blocking the glory of God? This is a time to listen to God, to crack open our hearts, to let that dazzling light work its way into ourselves. And it's a time in Lent to prepare for the resurrection and the mystery of the resurrection. The next time we see Jesus on a mountain will be when he's on the cross, entering death and into resurrection through Holy Week and Easter. So what a gift we have today to bathe in the enormity and awesomeness of God. What a gift to have this seed planted in our hearts as we try to do the hard work of Lent. On Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, we'll be marked with ashes, a sign of our own death and our connection to the death of Christ. And with that sign, we move into this time where we're invited to listen and absorb whatever we can and wherever we are on our spiritual journey. To listen and absorb what God is saying to us. To listen and absorb the often harder to comprehend dimensions of God. To move beyond our earthly conceptions. So let us try and wrap ourselves around this breathtaking wail of God and see how God moves in the sea of our lives and the sea of our world. We can engage in the glory of God and let us do the hard work. Truly listen to Jesus. This is an awesome task, a hard task, but a task of love, transformation, and ultimately, resurrection. How awesome. Amen.